Alright, well let's get started. Hey, I'm Drew Vaughn Barrington and uh, I get to minister in South Denver at the Church Littleton Church of Christ. And so I've been asked to speak on this No Other Jesus you know, series. So um, we're going to talk about Jesus' arrival and about how Jesus, when he gets the opportunity after coming out of the desert fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, goes to his own synagogue. And what does Jesus say? So we'll give a little background to that with uh, the uh, prophet of Isaiah and uh, Jesus' ministry. So the, the title of this is Arrival. It's Jesus' Arrival, Freedom for the Oppressed. And it's based off a series that I did with uh, some other pastors around. Uh, actually, who did I do this with? I did this with a, a friend of mine in San Diego. And so we built this series out. And so I just wanted to share it with you because I thought it would be something that would be you know, beneficial for us uh, talking about no other Jesus. I was supposed to have, like, her presenter, you know, but all it had was the biblical references. So if you've got your Bible or smartphone, everybody's good, right? All right. Hey, thanks so much for showing up to my class. Uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer, and then I'm just going to jump right into it. Okay? Uh, Holy Father, we thank you so much for your love and your generosity. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for salvation, the Holy Spirit, Lord, who empowers us and gives us life. Father, may we draw upon your word today and through the spirit of Jesus that you may give us life, that you may enliven us even more fully today. Father, my prayer is that we would be like uh, the prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, that it would be filled with all the measure of the fullness of you, that you would help us to understand the unfathomable, how much you love us. And, Father, that you would energize us to go and do your will. Father, may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. So, Father, help us to love you and our neighbors more. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. And all together we say, amen. amen. All right, so jumping right in is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And the word says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Right? This is what Jesus reads from when he stands up in his home synagogue, and so I'll just read what he reads from the scroll in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, in front of his home church, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, he said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's interesting that Jesus takes this passage, and this is his first reading coming off 40 days, being anointed by the Spirit, being baptized, coming off, he's, he's ready to go, and this is what he chooses to read to his home church. He's reading this, and it's from the prophet Isaiah, who lived around 740 to 700 B.C., and in the book of Isaiah, around chapters 56 and 66, through that area, Isaiah specifically talking to Judah, specifically talking to Judah after the return from exile in 53 in 539 B.C. And Isaiah is rebuking the people all through this. He's rebuking them, especially here, to Judah for their lack 
of justice in their fasting. So they are religious people, and they're performing religious ordinances, and they're even doing a set of practices like fasting. They're dedicating their bodies to the Lord, but they're oppressing the poor. They're offering sacrifices, but they're imprisoning their people. That they're not for the brokenhearted. Those who are in darkness can stay there. They offer no light to them. These are the leaders of Israel and Judah. And when Jesus stands before his own synagogue, he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks of the arrival of the promised son of David. He's talking about himself. I am the fulfillment of this. Jesus is saying, I have arrived this. Holy Spirit will arrive. Freedom has arrived. So the arrival of Jesus means freedom is here. There is freedom for all people. So I want to take a passage in the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of a case study of Jesus bringing that freedom to people. So if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus is a historical person. Jesus is a real person. He's alive and he's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus wasn't just a preacher. He was a practitioner. I mean, all preachers should be practitioners. Come on now. Right? But he went out and he not only said it, he did it, and then he had his disciples come up and say and do it also. Right? So here's Jesus in Mark chapter 5 doing this very thing. Uh, I want to read this passage to you. It's about when Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. And so this is the word of God for the people of God. Receive this word. Mark's gospel says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, the region of the ten cities in the Gentile area there, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It's a reading of God's word for you. Hey, if you believe in God's word, say amen. amen. Somebody say trust in the name of Jesus. Somebody say it with, uh, with some heart. Trust in the name of Jesus. Come on. All right. All right, all right. We usually stand at my church, and uh, I get on people if they sit down too soon. But we were all sitting, so we're all good. I didn't make a stand this morning. I, I feel like you guys are real dedicated. You know what I mean? You're all the way out here in Malibu, right? Um, the Lord called here. Uh, Jesus, all right, goes across the lake to Gentile territory. I love this about Jesus. There's no place where God's free power cannot travel or has yet to arrive. This is Jesus demonstrating this in bodily form. Like the, the man could provide physical freedom for himself. Did you notice this in the story? He could break the chains, but he could not free himself spiritually. So think in your own life, how often, how does Satan leave you physically free, yet spiritually captive? I mean, you could be physically free and spiritually oppressed. You could be physically oppressed and spiritually free. Or you could be unbound both physically and spiritually because Jesus comes to do both for all mankind. In Isaiah's day, everything that Israel was doing, worshiping false gods, oppressing their own people, they were being held captive by bad characters, bad shepherds, the word of God says. They were imprisoning their own people spiritually and physically. Now, spirituality with the worship of false gods and pagan practices, and, and physically with the unjust treatment of the poor and the unjust imprisonment for immoral economic practices. And Jesus was sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, that Jesus offers freedom, that Jesus is true freedom. True freedom. Like you may be able to unbind yourself, but you may not be able to unlock what's hidden inside. God's the one who can unlock those places that are untouchable by you. Places that only He has dominion over. Places that only He can release you from. So Jesus offers true freedom. And the townspeople didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know what to do with the man, but try and chain him up. They got this crazy guy, and all they know to do is chain him up, and they brutalize him. They, they brutalize him, but they weren't strong enough to subdue him. So they could chain him up, they could beat him, but they couldn't subdue him. They tried to solve the problem with violent solutions that made matters worse. This is evidence that the people being physically free are held captive by violence and money. So this man, he's spiritually bound. They can't bound him physically, but yet they are held captive by violence and money. These are powers that exist today in our own country, in our own neighborhoods, in our own spaces. 
that we're held captive by those powers. They influence the people of God. We are touched by those powers and principalities. And when held by these powers of money and violence, Walter Wake says that we can fail to do the necessary analysis to name, unmask, and engage these powers transformatively with Christ's love. But we follow the way of Jesus. And Jesus is not going to deliver someone from oppression with more oppression. That's not why we chose to give our lives to Jesus. Jesus, even though the word says we're slaves of Christ, that we are not bound in ways that oppress us. We're bound in ways that liberate us to him. We're bound in ways that free us to be human beings. We're free to love. That's what it is. It's not that he gave us a bunch of rules. He gave us an idea of what kingdom looks like to love one another. That's what, that's what it is. You have freedom to choose what's right. Whenever you live in a world that influences you to choose what's wrong, not right, what's wrong. Jesus overcomes evil with love. Uh, prior to this Jesus calms the storm. Right before this story, Mark shows Jesus' power. But in this story, Mark shows Jesus' mercy to the demons. I mean, Mark emphasizes Jesus' liberating mercy, not his amazing power. When Jesus approaches the man, the demons try to name Jesus, calling upon God's name. And it was a common held belief that those who knew someone's name, when you know their name, it's to take away their power. It's to take away their agency. Say, I know you. You can't be who you are. Now, people try to do that with Jesus. We know this guy. He's the carpenter's son. That's Mary's boy. Who does he think he is, right? Like, this is what they try to do with Jesus. They invoke the name of God, these demons do, to protect themselves. But they're only invoking the name of God because they're self-serving. Does that sound familiar to people in public office? Does that sound familiar to people who want you to vote for them? Who want them to fund their campaign? Want them want you to back whatever thing they have? Just throw the name of God in there. Just throw that you go to church in there. You know, just do that and you'll, you'll win the hearts of many people. But it's only self-serving. What is your name? But Jesus asks, what's yours? Do you notice that in the story? They call upon the name of God, the name of Jesus, like you, the Son of God, whatever you are. But Jesus, what's your name? Jesus asks the demonic spirit's name. But he doesn't give a proper name. I don't know if you notice that in the story. He doesn't actually give his name. He says, Legion. That's a general name. Like, Legion is a number. It's a Roman regiment, maybe 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen. So Jesus doesn't need to know the name of because Jesus is above superstition. Jesus is above worldly principles. Jesus is above what people might use to oppress you. Jesus uses to liberate you here in this story. He doesn't need to know the names of the demons to drive them out. So the man was so overcome by evil and violence of the people, he had no sense of his own real identity. He doesn't know who he is. He didn't answer for himself. The demons answered for him. What 
whatever you are held prisoner to often becomes your identity, doesn't it? Becomes who you are. It's what you might call totalism. You have one failure in your life, you're known by that one failure for the rest of your life, especially maybe in the community you grew up in, or the people that you failed in front of. That's totalism. You're, you're irredeemable now. Right? There's no, there's no mercy for you. Whatever you're held prisoner to becomes your identity. And it may not even be something that you chose. Maybe something that was placed on you. Some kind of trauma in your childhood. A generational sin in your household. Someone brutalized you. It becomes your identity. But the Word of God says this in Isaiah in the next chapter. You will be called by a new name. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow. No longer will they call you deserted. Or name your land desolate. But you will be called Hespa. Which means my delight is in her. And your land Beulah. Which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be merry. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. That's Isaiah 62, verses 2 through 5. Jesus restores your identity. That whatever lie you believed about yourself, God cancels that lie and gives you a new name. He was no longer legion. He was liberated. He was no longer broken. He was put together. He was liberated because Jesus is the liberating king. And Jesus is where you find freedom and your liberation. This should have been good news to everybody. I mean, it's good news to us. should have been good news to everybody, but not the townspeople. Did you see that in the story? Instead of embracing the joy in this act of mercy and love, the townspeople were afraid and angry. Why were they angry? They lost their pigs. They lost their ability to make money. They lost the herd, 2,000, some 2,000 pigs. That's, that's a livelihood. They lost their pigs. They were afraid and they were angry. David Garland says, perhaps people fear that they will be healed at the expense of losing more pigs. Concern for the bottom line may outweigh concern for those caught in the grips of suffering. And Calvin Stowe says, for example, uh, he's, a, he's a professor of biblical studies and he lived in the shadow of his more internationally famous wife, Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of the poignant Denunciation of Slavery, Uncle Tom's Cabin. When she toured England, he preached before a large crowd gathered to observe anti-slavery day. And he told the listeners, in no uncertain terms, that they were hypocrites. They were proud that slavery had long since disappeared in England, but 80% of the cotton picked by slaves in the southern states was purchased by England. 
He said slavery would die in America if England would boycott its cotton and went on to ask, are you willing to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? And the crowd booed him. Today, there may not be chattel slavery in our nation, but we know that Wells Fargo Bank doesn't give proper loans to people of color. We know that they want you to tell them on those boards what your race is, but I don't. I never have and I never will. They always ask me, would you like to identify your ethnicity? I say, no thank you. No thank you. Back up, this is supposed to say, I'm as white as white bread, bro. Give me them low interest rates. Give me them low interest rates. Because somebody is looking. People are looking. They say it's anonymous, but they are looking, everybody. I trust them. <laughs> no, don't sound, that's not the government conspiracy theory. That's the truth, everybody. They don't give the best stuff to the people who may need it like everybody else. Maybe even need it the most. And we know we have an unjust legal system. I mean, we have for-profit prison systems, and the judges are taking cuts, and they got lobbyists to build these multi-million, million-dollar prisons to lock people up for having an ounce of weed. I mean, it's an unjust prison. There's people serving life sentences, even in my country, even in my state of Colorado, where actually it's legal to sell weed. I mean, there's people who are given federal prison sentences for selling it, and there's other places that are doing it for free. But who's who's getting cash in? Well, the agencies that are making a profit, right? Like we have unjust and unfair legal practices here that oppress the poor, that oppress black and brown people, that, that are systems that are built for people not to find access to generational wealth, to constantly be, for one mistake or multiple, whatever you want to say, but paying restitution or going to court dates they can't make, making it difficult for them to find a way to have a sustainable income because the judicial system is finding every way to catch them, gotcha, to funnel them back into the system. I mean, this is what is happening. It's the new Jim Crow in our United States of America. Prison system. We may not have chattel slavery, but we have unjust systems. We may change the name of the demons, but they are not thereby conquered, and they do not lose their malice. F. Leinhardt perceptively observes, he says, we have renamed the demons of the past, but we have not exercised them. So the talk of demons and pigs, this story is really problematic. It really is, right? Um, there's an assumption that you believe in demons and that you are okay with the death of a thousand pigs. And that doesn't, this, it just doesn't play well to that, this sermon. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's hard. But, but lean in, listen to this. Jesus vanquishes the demons to show his power over evil. He, he does. Uh, we, we must believe that if Jesus came, if you saw him when he read him in the Old Testament, I mean, excuse me, in the New Testament, when he comes, it's like a lightning rod for demonic possessions. It's just his demonstration that he has power over evil. You gotta remember that the cross is not just to deal with your sin, it is a solution to evil in this world. The cross isn't just a solution to your personal sin, it is a solution to evil in this world. Okay? We've got to some ways, in some ways, depersonalize, okay, the cross or decentralize it with just your own experiences. But the cross takes care of evil in the world. This is why the story is so important today. The demons are the ones who created the rampage that leads to the pig's death and their destruction. Demons are the ones. 
But I want to give another nuance to the story. You know, Jews had an aversion to pigs, right? They had an aversion to pigs, hear me out, not just because they were forbidden to eat them, but they were, because they were associated with the brutal persecution of Jews by pagans. It wasn't just because of food laws. It was because of pagans that would come in and seize Jerusalem. And then they would sacrifice pigs amongst the altars in the temple. They would spread the blood all over. They, they, would, they, would, they, would, they would dishonor God and their religious practices. That's what it was. And, and, and not just eating pigs was against food laws, but, but also eating pork was a way to turn them against their forefathers. Right? To teach them their ways. You see that in the story of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Take all of this in. Look, this is good for you. Just abandon all of your father's faith. This is the way that they did this. Jews were forced to eat pork as a rejection of God. And if they refused, they were tortured and killed. So when Jews heard this story, they would have approved. They would have, they would have approved the destruction of all those pigs. It's God's victory over all the powers of oppression. And the townspeople in that region, they didn't see it that way. Right? They were, they were Gentiles. They didn't see it that way. Those tending the pigs told the town what happened. That property was more valuable than human life. For them, prosperity was more valuable than human freedom. For them. They tried to tame the man, but they knew that they, they would not be able to tame Jesus. What do you do with something that you can't control? What do you do with something that you can't explain? You fear it. You speak against it. You leave it. You make it go away. Leave, Jesus, leave. We, don't, we can't control you. We can't explain you. Leave. And Jesus' kindness, he does go away, but not without granting some requests, if you notice in the story. Jesus grants the request of the demons. He grants the request of the people to leave. But there's one request that he doesn't grant. He does not grant the man who's been freed from demonic imprisonment his request to travel with him. Why? Because he tells him to go home to his own people. Go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man didn't have a name as a name. The man who didn't have a mission as a mission. Why send him home? He's returning to his people who know his name. Think about this. He's returning to the people who knew who he once was. His birthday. They know his name. And speaking his name won't allow them to hold power over him. Speaking his name brings freedom for them. He's a new person. He has a new identity. They can see what the Lord has done for him. God has mercy on him. God has mercy on them. So the man goes to the Decapolis, otherwise known as Jordan or parts of Syria today. Jesus does not limit his miracles in the story to one side of the lake. Jesus purposefully goes and declares God's rule and sows God's grace far and wide 
including the region of the Gerasenes. Crossing the lake to an area where swine are kept is more than a sportive outing for Jesus. It reveals that there is no place in this world in which God's reign does not intend to extend itself. And this confrontation that ensues reveals that every square inch and sea and land will be contested by Satan, but ultimately will be won by God. Jesus' arrival means freedom is here. Jesus' arrival means God wins the people of God are the people who now, through the spirit of Jesus, offer that freedom to others. We tear down strongholds. We go into places that are impenetrable. But with God, it is possible that we are not just interested in escaping the fires of hell, whatever hell we believe in, but we are vitally important to helping people to experience life and power on this earth. We are vitally important. The disciples witness all of that. And it's, it's no surprise that after witnessing that and after spending time with Jesus in the book of Acts, they go to Samaria and they go to the ends of the earth and no one is left out from what Jesus has done and will do. It's no surprise that even today the church of the living God is still practicing, advocating, lifting, building, freeing, loving, protesting, and the church is still giving and giving and building. All right? Those who have the Spirit of God are the people that can do the most work. I believe that with all of my heart. And if God doesn't use you, right, or use the church, He will find someone to make it happen. So why not go where the Spirit is moving? Go where God is liberated. God wants to use you to do that because Jesus has arrived and His arrival means that freedom is here. I'm going to say a word of prayer and, um, and then we'll be done. Alright, let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you so much for your love. Um, I thank you for Jesus and the story. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, ultimately you do win. Father, we pray that you would come against evil. We pray that you would liberate people who have their end structures and systems who are in places that can't navigate on their own. They need hope. They need a friend. They need people. They, Father, need their name restored. They need their purpose illuminated. Help them to discover. And, Father, may we be those advocates, those agents to do so. Father, if any of us in here need to be delivered from any the spiritual oppression, Father, we pray for you to dissolve, for you to demolish, Father, for you to make a difference. Father, we need you. We need you. And then, may we be like the man that once we regain our footing, that once we regain our purpose, we go and share and help others. Holy Father, that we do that ourselves. We do that ourselves. May we be empowered by your love today. It's through Jesus Christ, the Lord, we pray.
Amen. Let me give you this blessing. Uh, it comes from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, in the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever.